Welcome to the ACCP Resident Fellowship Podcast, a podcast for residents by residents. My name is Christian Kroll, and I'm the current PGA2 Emergency Medicine Clinical Pharmacy Resident at UW Health in Madison, Wisconsin. We'll be joined on the show today by Dr. Kristen Bamberg, who is the lead critical care pharmacist at Northern Arizona Healthcare, and also sits on the chair of the BPS Specialty Council on Critical Care Pharmacy. Welcome, Kristen. Hey, Christian. So glad to be on. Now, today on today's podcast, we'll be discussing pharmacist board certification, including what is board certification, how does one get it, what are some current board certification trends, and how does board certification impact one's professional career. Now, before diving into the topic, Kristen, would you be able to give the listeners some insight into your pharmacy background, current area of practice, and your workings on the BPS Council? Absolutely. Um, so I graduated in 2002 with my PharmD from Midwestern College of Pharmacy, Glendale and Phoenix. Uh, so I've been a pharmacist um, for almost 20 years now, which is a little bit unbelievable. Uh, I really wanted to move into a PGY-1 post-graduation. My plan was to subsequently do a PGY-2 in infectious disease uh, that one of my favorite professors was setting up. Uh, so those were my career goals and kind of in my last year of my PharmD program, but I was unable to go on to a PG-1 at the time because I had my first son during the last year of pharmacy school and so had to make up a few rotations in the summer post-graduation. So as you can imagine, um, my rotations that I had to make up kind of overlapped with the start date of a lot of the residencies. But, you know, you have to remember that at the time, it wasn't as imperative that hospital pharmacists have additional postgraduate training. And in fact, there was kind of a huge pharmacist shortage um, at the time. And so really uh, jobs were plentiful. And um, as a as a new clinician, you could go right into a direct patient care role fairly easily. So I did go into a direct patient care role at a 150-bed hospital in Phoenix for a few years and ended up learning a ton from some of the most wonderful seasoned pharmacists there. Um, they really helped me set up my practice, and I was, I'm was very grateful to them um, for that. But my husband and I subsequently moved to Flagstaff, which is in the northern part of the state. It's a beautiful mountain town. Um, we are at about 7,500 feet elevation. And I joined the staff of Flagstaff Medical Center, which is one of the, um, one of the uh, hospitals associated with Northern Arizona Healthcare. And at the time, it was it was about a 200-bed facility, uh, so slightly larger than I was used to, um, but it has now grown over the last 10 to 15 years to almost 300 beds. It's it's now a level one trauma center, which it wasn't when I started. It also We also have a really, really large joint program. We have the highest elevation cabbage program in the country and a really, really robust general critical care service line. Um, so with the advent of our intensivist group in 2007, our acuity and ICU went up quite a bit, as you can imagine. Um, and we realized as a team that we we really needed a more coordinated and focused pharmacy effort in the unit. Um, and I was really tapped to create that program. So I've been the lead critical care pharmacist here at FMC um, since 2007, and I supervise uh, seven other pharmacists who rotate with me um, at various times throughout our ICUs, which include uh, we have a, a cardiovascular ICU, um, a trauma ICU, a medical surgical um, ICU. So we have kind of a, a roundabout of ICU care here. Um, as far as board certification, I was initially uh, certified in pharmacotherapy in 2006, and I took the in inaugural critical care exam in 2016, so I'm board certified in both. Um, and for some background for your listeners who may not be as familiar, uh, the Board of Pharmacy Specialties, or BPS, is the body that kind of oversees uh, this section of pharmacy credentialing, and um, there's a lot of specialties, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, candidates essentially apply um, 
they apply for and take a fairly rigorous exam. It's usually about 175 to 200 questions. And that exam is constructed by a council specific to that specialty. Um, if the candidate passes, then they are board certified in that area for about seven years. And, and um, to re-up, they can either uh, take a somewhat, I guess, abbreviated version of that exam. So they don't have the full 175 or 200 question exam. It's usually uh, like 100 questions. Um, or they can do a certain amount of board approved continuing education credit. Um, so each specialty council is made up of nine members. There, there are uh, seven specialists. We call them specialists. I'm going to use that in quotes. Um, and when I say that, I mean board certified individuals and always two non-specialists. Um, and so that doesn't mean that the non-specialists quote don't have expertise in the field or a good knowledge base. It just means that they aren't technically board certified in the area of the council on which they are serving. So um, when BPS starts a new specialty, they tap into experts in the field to create the first exams, but obviously these individuals aren't board certified yet um, because there's been no exam, right? So. So directly after the first exam, BPS puts out a call for all of those people who passed that first exam, the newly certified pharmacist to um, apply to join the council. Um, and I responded and applied to that call um, after the critical care board in 2016 and was chosen in early 2017 to join that council. And then subsequently, um, later on, I was elected vice chair in 2019 and 2020. And then this year I'm um, serving as chair of the critical care board. Well, that's amazing to hear just how much you've been involved in shaping the practice of pharmacy. Now, a major question that I wanted to ask you is why did you want to become board certified and how has it impacted your professional career? Yeah, so many facets to this. Um, as I said, I first became board certified in pharmacotherapy in 2006. And at the time, the only areas or exams offered by BPS were in pharmacotherapy, which is kind of like your generalist, nutrition, uh, psychiatric, nuclear, and I think oncology at the time. There was a fifth one. I think it was oncology. So if you want to parallel physician credentialing, I kind of think of it as pharmacotherapy as sort of the internal medicine of the pharmacy board certification world. You know, and at the time, I really just wanted sort of a forced review after a few years of practice. And I knew that, as we all know, with being busy professionals and having busy personal lives, at least I personally wasn't going to sort of do those reviews without some sort of incentive or some sort of goal or some sort of end of the line for me, for me to kind of be forced to study. And so, um, so that was a really uh, excellent way for me to do it. That was my motivation for my first sort of four-way into board certification. But honestly, like after I passed that, I found it even more rewarding than initially thought because I then continued to renew BCPS every seven years. And in fact, I just renewed again last year. And I typically renew by continuing education credits. And so um, pharmacotherapy requires about 120 hours for renewal. And so it doesn't sound like a lot when you're kind of thinking about those pharmacist CEs you get online for your license where, you know, you take a tw you know, 20 minutes to finish it, but it gives you two hours of CE. Um, the board renewal CE is definitely not like that. It's extremely in-depth, clinically relevant, and it really tests at a board certified level. So it's much more difficult, but certainly much more engaging and relevant as well. So um, I was, again, getting some great benefits out of my cert certification, even after sort of that initial study period. 
And then um, when the first critical care exam rolled out in 2016, again, I essentially had the same goal. Um, at this point, I was a fairly seasoned critical care practitioner, but having to review and learn again was um, was an amazing career refresher for me. It really like inspired me and made me be proud to be a critical care pharmacist, and it really, really sort of breathed new life into my passion for pharmacy. So it was a great point in my career to to take that and kind of reignite, you know, how I felt about critical care. And as far as external impacts on my career, um, I think that board certification is certainly getting more and more recognition, both from within the profession as well as without. Um, we're continuing in our profession to sort of transition to a system where direct patient care activities will more and more require some type of postgraduate education, right? So um, that transition has been kind of slow, although it's starting to ramp up a little bit. And even as we continue to work on that, the number of available residencies for both first and second year continue to be out, sort of outpaced by the number of candidates um, and then even the number of post-residency positions that are available. So for those of us practicing that didn't do a residency or didn't have an opportunity to do a residency, it does sort of afford you the opportunity to demonstrate some um, level of competency in a specialty area. You know, the exams are fairly rigorous and incredibly well vetted. So being a board certified pharmacist through BPS really means something. Um, when I obtained my first uh, certification in 2006, I was the only board certified pharmacist in my institution for over five years. And as BPS has grown and been open to more specialties and as pharmacy practice has really changed, that certainly has changed. We have a lot of board certified pharmacists, particularly in pharmacotherapy now, who are um, practicing as clinical pharmacists on the floor. So I feel like board certification has really made its way into the pharmacy vernacular much more over the years. And, and you know, I think along with a PGY-1 residency, I think we're going to see more and more institutions require BCPS um, or some uh, board certification in a particular area in order sort of to practice and direct patient care. That's really inspiring to hear. Now, since the development of pharm the pharmacy board certification in 1978, there's been a major rise in the number of pharmacists that are applying for board certification. These numbers have exponentially grown since 2002, and now there is over 49,000 board certifications issued in the U.S. and abroad. So, Kristen, I know that you talked a little bit about this, but in your eyes, how has the idea and the practice of board certification changed over the years? Yeah, it has changed a lot, <laughs> even since my um, PharmD in 2002. And, and board certification, like you said, has been around since the late 70s, early 80s. So, um, specifically with BPS. So, as I described, there were only, I think, five specialties for many years. Although pharmacotherapy did have several subspecialties, including cardiology and infectious disease, that one could get, I think they were called um, BCPS with added qualifications. Um, and I believe those ad added qualifications were determined by the applicant submitting some sort of portfolio of their training and work, um, you know, maybe some publications, and then a committee at BPS would review and then grant the added qualifications. But we're really moving away from that, moving more into um, having specific specialties have their own exams. Um, but in the mid-2000s, kind of, I think, at the prodding of ACCP, BPS started sort of reviewing how it was doing things and whether they should look at beginning to add additional specialties, similar kind of to the way physician credentialing works, I guess. And um, when Bill Ellis took over as executive director in 2011 at BPS, things really started to heat up, I feel like. There's just like a correlation there. And the opening up for petitions for new specialties, role delineation studies, feasibility of new specialties, et cetera, began to really kind of take shape. And since that time, we're up to now 13 specialties. And I think, you know, 
other than those first five, I think all of those have come in the last like 12 years. So it's it's really in inspiring to see that, um, including, a, you know, a compounded sterile preparation certification, which I think is really wonderful and long past overdue. Certainly not as, you know, clinically oriented, but certainly something that, you know, is becoming a specialty and we really need to be making sure we're keeping patients safe with that. So, you know, if any of your listeners are interested in some um, kind of cool pharmacy history on the subject, you know, get yourself out of the COVID pharmacy blues a little, take a break from reading studies on whether we should be using remdesivir or what dose of anticoagulation to use. I, I encourage them to read um, an article that came out, I think last summer uh, by Brian Erstad and Charles Webb. Um, it was called A Brief History of Pharmacy Specialization in the United States. And it's a really great, well-written overview of kind of how pharmacy credentialing and specialization has evolved over the last, I would say, 40 years. They kind of focus on all that. They, they actually talk about the initiation of it with the formation of APA back in like the 40s. It's kind of interesting. So um, definitely a cool read. And, and I would encourage um, I would encourage you to take a break from COVID um, and go read, read something cool about our profession. Awesome. So then moving into your involvement on the specialty council, what inspired you to be the chair of this committee? Oh boy. A momentary lapse of reason. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You know, it's a lot of hard work, but it's been the most amazing experience. As I said, I sat for the first critical care exam in 2016 and then was elected to the board that puts the exam together. And a few years later, as one of kind of the most seasoned members on the board, I had the opportunity to take on vice chair um, next to Paul O'Donnell, who is an amazing pharmacist out of Midwestern Chicago. And he was the chair at the time. Um, and then was elected chair for this last year. And I think my work as vice really sort of helped me solidify my respect for the process. Uh, my respect for BPS as an institution and some of the most amazing pharmacists and even, you know, non-pharmacists that run the show there. And I really just wanted to be more involved because I'm so proud um, of what we've done every single year over the past five years and watching BPS sort of grow, even over the five years I've been there, um, has been really, really interesting and fun. Um, you know, and also, you know, performing as vice chair really gave me the confidence to lead um, kind of as the most senior member of the board this year, um, sort of to lead our group in the 2022. And so um, it's going to be a lot of work. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of work as vice chair and, and, and Paul did a lot of work as chair last year, but um, I think it's going to be really rewarding and I really have a lot of confidence in the process. That's awesome to hear your drive for change and impact in the pharmacy profession. My final question for you is where do you see board certification advancing in the next like five or 10 years or so? Ah, yeah, this is going to be really interesting. You know, I see a continued broadening of specialties. I, I've been so, um, so happy to see BPS really open up um, to all of these different specialties. Um, I think somewhat probably we're going to see those continue to open up in parallel with PGY2 specialty residencies and how they sort of continue to bloom. Um, I do believe that in 10 to 15 years, we'll see most hospitals and AmCare clinics where pharmacists provide direct patient care requiring certification to practice. Um, and I only see BPS and this credentialing mechanism they've created positively impacting our ability as a profession to move forward with practicing at the top of our license um, in terms of things like collaborative practice agreements, provider status outside of the government sector, which already kind of has that, you know, all of those high level pharmaceutical care activities that are more in their infancy right now. Um, and so I really look forward to kind of watching that all grow during the second half of my career and, and watching the next generation like you push for those changes that will, you know, ultimately be better for, for our patients. Well, thank you for the great insight into the world of board certification and the future that it holds. Anytime, Christian. It's been a pleasure.
everyone, my name is Monica. I'm currently a PGY-1 at Vera McKinnon Hospital in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Today, I have Dr. Joe Berenzi some, uh, talking about board certification. Hello, Joe. Hi, Monica. Well, yeah, just to get your uh, listeners um, an introduction for me, my name is Joe Berenzi. I'm an assistant professor of pharmacy practice with South Dakota State University College of Pharmacy and Allied Health Professions. Uh, I maintain an ambulatory care practice site at the VA Black Hills Healthcare System in Fort Meade, South Dakota. And I work primarily on chronic disease state management, diabetes, dyslipidemia, hypertension, COPD, etc. Um, I obtained my board certification in pharmacotherapy in the fall of 2016 and my board certification in ambulatory care in the fall of 2019. Hello, Joe. Thanks for joining me today um, as a PGY1 who is halfway through the residency year. I started to contemplate what my next step will be. Certainly seeking board certification will be part of it, no matter where I end up in job application. I would definitely say it seemed like there has been an increased amount of pharmacists that are getting board certified. Also, I think it will be a great way to consolidate the knowledge and clinical skills I've obtained through PGY one year. So what makes you personally wanting to be board certified? Well, yeah, thanks Monica for having me here today. And I'm certainly glad to hear that you're contemplating board certification. It's a great step to take professionally. I would say that I had a few slightly different reasons for becoming board certified. I took the BCPS between my PGY-1 and PGY-2 years, and I found a large reason for doing so was to feel prepared and competitive for the job market I was about to enter. It's no secret that our field is becoming increasingly competitive, and I wanted to make sure I was doing all that I could to enter it confidently, both in terms of my knowledge base and quality of patient care, and in terms of kind of the added credentials. In contrast, I took the BCACP two years out of residency. And at that point, I found myself taking it to really engage with new material that had come out since I left residency. It was a great way to study up on new medications and new clinical information. And like you mentioned, just a great way to consolidate and apply that knowledge. Uh, yes, I could echo with a lot of what you just said. So to start with, can you give us a brief overview on what would be expected on the test content for both BCPS and BCACP? And could you give us a general idea of the type of questions and the competency areas? Absolutely. For the BCPS, there are three broad domains from which test questions are pulled. Patient-centered pharmacotherapy, which comprises 65% of the test material, Application of evidence to practice and education, which comprises 25% of the test material. And finally, healthcare systems and population health, which comprises 10% of the test material. Most test takers will be familiar with the types and content of questions asked from patient-centered pharmacotherapy. It's assessing your knowledge and clinical management of various disease states and drug-drug interactions. Application of evidence to practice and education questions Assess your understanding of biostatistics, study design, and how to interpret and apply literature. Lastly, healthcare systems and population health questions. Assess your understanding of how to handle medication errors, preventative health initiatives, and quality improvement principles. BCACP was slightly different. 
most content, again, light in the patient-centered ambulatory care domain with some questions about translation of evidence into practice. But then there were also questions about advancing ambulatory care practice specifically as well. I'd encourage listeners to review the BPS website for specifics on whatever board certification they're considering. For both exams, questions were almost always multiple choice with just a few exceptions. Sounds like a majority of questions will be from patient-centered pharmacotherapy. Well, I guess um, for me, biostatistics is always something I feel like I need to study more and prepare more. Um, in terms of preparation, what resources did you use to prepare for the exams? Great question. Um, for both exams, I chose to use the certification preparation resources published jointly by ACCP and ASHP. There are tons of review options out there, live review courses, webinars, pre-recorded lectures, practice exams, but within the certification preparation resources, I chose to only use the workbook PDFs. This was the least expensive option, which was important to me as a PGY1 resident, and I feel like I learn best when I get to take my time reading the material and then kind of mulling it over and self-assessing. Mm -hmm. What I'd add is that there are many paths to board certification preparation. So it's important to make sure you review your options and think of what's gonna work for you given your learning style, your timeline, and honestly, your pocketbook. ACCP is committed to developing, advancing, and positioning clinical pharmacists to achieve excellence in practice, research, and education. The new ACCP Career Center was created to support you throughout the transitions of your clinical pharmacy career. From career advancement and board certification advice to searching open position listings, the ACCP Career Center is the place for clinical pharmacy career advancement. Check it out at careers.accp.com. I couldn't agree more with, um, you know, choose to choose the best method for you to study for board certification. And I love that uh, you said uh, you chose to use only the workbook PDFs. This was the least expensive options. And it's important to me as a PGY1 resident. Couldn't agree more with that. Um, I know that you are certified in both pharmacotherapy and amb ambulatory care. Can you walk us through the timeline that you use to prepare for BCPS? And was that different? Uh, from how you prepared leading up to the BCACP? So about four months prior to the BCPS exam, I started reviewing chapters out of the ACCP ASHP workbook PDFs that I mentioned before. Uh, I set a goal to read through one chapter per study session, and I scheduled about five study sessions per week after getting home from residency. Those were definitely some long days, but my co-residents were also taking the exam too at the time, and we'd often study in a group, so that really helped. After reading the chapter, I took the self-assessment questions, and kind of depending on how well I did, I'd either earmark the chapter for further review later on, or I'd just move on entirely if I did well enough. About two weeks before the exam, I started kind of moving back and re-reviewing those chapters that I had struggled with. And just prior to the exam, I also made sure to do a last pass on biostatistics, kind of like you were talking about earlier, because I felt like that was the area I was least confident in. I can't say I was quite as diligent with my BCACP preparation, so I think I condensed it into a two-month time frame and studied maybe three or four nights per week instead of five. 
I definitely remember wishing I had prepared a bit more as I was sitting for the exam. So I think the lesson is to make sure you give yourself plenty of preparation time so you can walk into the test feeling as confident as you need to. Wow, that sounds like uh, such a good executed study plan. Um, so I know you kind of talk about the merits of board certification with us before. I think it is valuable to get board certified to show the expertise and competencies as a clinical pharmacist. What are some of the benefits you think board certifications brings to one's professional career? That's a great question. Uh, there are quite a few benefits that I can think of, but I'll highlight mainly three. So first, like I alluded to before, board certification allows you greater marketability in the job market. It's an attractive prospect for employers because it shows you're willing to spend time, including a lot of your personal time, staying up to date in clinical pharmacy. In addition, in some settings and locations, board certification actually opens up the door to additional privileges, including prescribing privileges in some locations. So this allows you to practice at the top of your scope and again, makes you competitive for a wider variety of pharmacy jobs. Second, board certification improves your clinical capabilities in specialty areas and thus promotes improved patient care and overall better outcomes. Healthcare is increasingly complex and it requires highly educated individuals to navigate all of those complexities. Obtaining board certification is just one way to show that you are willing to take on that challenge and strive towards personal improvement. Finally, I can't neglect to mention that in many healthcare systems, including the Veterans Affairs and Department of Defense, there are often opportunities for increased pay for pharmacists who obtain board certification. This is certainly an enticing prospect for most and a nice reward for all your hard work and diligent preparation. That is such a good summary of all the merits of board certification. Uh, I know we went over a lot of information today and I for sure have more understanding towards the test itself and the whole preparation process thanks to the information that you've provided. Lastly, do you have any other words of advice for those preparing for board certification? I suppose I would just conclude by saying that we all prepare and study differently, so do what works for you. But I'd recommend being a part of some sort of group, even if you're not actively studying with them. Like I said, I utilize kind of a mixture of solo studying and group studying. And I found that having friends prepare alongside me provided some accountability and instilled the process with a bit more fun than I otherwise would have had. In addition, before BCPS, I hadn't studied for a test since the NAPLEX. So having my friends around helped me get back into the studying groove a bit more easily, and it just wasn't quite as daunting of a prospect. Other than that, like you mentioned, Monica, I'd conclude by saying don't neglect the biostatistics. Definitely plan to review that content prior to the exam. It's a tough one. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of the ACCP Resident Fellowship Podcast, a podcast for residents by residents. For more episodes and other resident fellow resources, visit our website at www.accp.com backslash resfell.
Thank you for listening to an ACCP podcast for residents by residents. Our theme music is titled Jupiter's Smile by the 126ers and is provided through YouTube's free audio library. Please subscribe to the ACCP podcast to be notified of new episodes.